It's really interesting. They tell the story I say I hated my wife. Jim Ramos is a best-selling author, speaker, and the founder of Men in the Arena. My kids for Father's Day a couple of years ago, I had them over to the house and they said, Dad, we want to thank you for not being soft on us. You made us get jobs. You made us play all three sports. You made us uh, pay for our car insurance and our gas. Thank you for that. We hated you when you made us do that, but we've seen how it's benefited us and all of our friends who had things handed to them are soft and weak and pathetic. He hosts the weekly Men in the Arena podcast. For you single guys that are trying to figure this out, you need to find a woman who is similar to you. There, people say opposites attract. They may attract, but they don't last. You need someone who is similar to you. Ramos ministers to a social media community of more than 100,000 men through TikTok, Instagram, and the 12,000 strong men in the Arena Facebook group. Marriage and women are actually complex, but really a woman is actually a very simple being to love once you understand what makes her come alive. And so I always tell guys, forgive me for this horrible analogy, but if you open her spirit, her legs, and everything else will open for you. He has also founded a worldwide network of men in the arena virtual teams where men support each other as they work to become their best version. If you were to talk to my wife, Shanna, and myself, and you were to ask us what the two greatest contributors to our marriage are, before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So Jim... Men in the arena. Yep. I love this. Before we get into the details of the arena and what it entails and what exactly happens there, can you tell us about a time where you weren't in the arena, that you're absent yeah. from there and what your life looked like at that point? Yeah, I think uh, I think men will oscillate in and out of the arena throughout their lives. But the major time for me was really when I got married. You know, on paper, I looked good, man. I was a football coach. I was a college football four-year starter. I was a, pa a pastor. I mean, I looked really good on paper, but marriage seems to bring out kind of the worst in you, or it tends to reveal. It's like uh, refining gold. It brings out all the impurities. And I realized I got married at 26, and I instantly realized that there was a massive problem in my marriage. I didn't realize the problem was on me. Later, reflecting on that, I realized that my wife married who she thought was a man, but she really married a male, even though on paper I looked like a man. And um, yeah, man, I remember at one point pounding the steering wheel of my car, just crying out to God saying, hey, I don't know what to do here. My life is over. I mean, I'm 26. I married a woman who I now hate. It's been about six months later. I, I God, take her out. Car wreck, cancer. I, I hate this woman. Just take her out. I don't want to kill her myself, but if you could take her out. And it was a bad deal, man. And I, and I wasn't loving my wife. She wasn't thriving. Everything around me was doing well. But when it came to my marriage, which is a massive part of my life, we, I was not thriving. And uh, that was, that was really a time when I realized looking back now, I realized I was not in the arena. I was not doing the things that uh, a, a real man does. 
And uh, I had an experience about a year later that changed everything. But that was probably the moment, the, the catalytic moment when I realized, man, I am not the man my wife thinks she married. What a real man does. What does a real man do, Jim? Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. So I wrote a book. Uh, well, it's right there. This book right there called Strong Man, Dangerous Times. In that book, I talked about five things that a real man does. And it's like climbing a mountain. So these five things at the trailhead is protecting integrity. A real man does anything and everything he can daily to protect his integrity. Integrity is a foundational component of manhood. It's a functional component of manhood. And you know what I've found, Gavin? It doesn't matter what a man believes. doesn't matter what religion he is. doesn't matter what color he is. It doesn't matter if he's from Ireland or America or Greece or Mexico. Uh, it doesn't matter if he lived a thousand years ago or a thousand years in the future integrity is important to men. And if you lack integrity, you lack everything needed to, uh, the, to the foundational components to be a man. So, so that's the foundation. The, the second thing is what I call the climb or fighting apathy. And you're a, you're a power lifter, right? So the only way we get strong, right, is to resist things that try to push us down, right? Like I'm doing this 250,000 or 65,000 pushup challenge with about 400 guys. And we're nine months into this thing. And we're down to 50 guys, you know, but I'll tell you what, I'm repping these suckers out like you can't believe because my body's gotten used to the resistance. And I've gotten stronger because of it. And so fighting apathy is to fight against those things that want to cause us to be indifferent, impassive, to not care about the things that we should care about. And in my story, I didn't care about my wife, right? Uh, the summit of manhood is what we call uh, pursuing God passionately. I just think that that is when God, when a man reaches his apex is when he realizes that he's not God and he's been created by a loving God. And the only way he can understand who he really is, is by understanding the God who made him. And then the descent is what we call leading courageously, which is, uh, uh, you know, really, really leaning into the mountain on the downhill, uh, on Mount Everest every year, more people die in the descent than climbing the mountain. And I think they relax. I think they were careless on the way up. There are many, many reasons why. But a lot of times with men, we forget that people are following us. And we can't be casual about going down the mountain. Because we have people, our wives, our children, our communities, our, our co-workers, they're desperately wanting somebody to lead and lead with boldness. And so we need to navigate down those rocky slopes. And then the trails end is what I call finishing strong. It's when a man says, you know what? I am going to finish every day strong all of my life. And your audience is like 30 to 45 years old, right? So what happens with guys in that in that space, Gavin, is that they are working real hard. I mean, your guys are hardworking guys. They come from work, they kick their shoes off, they kick their, you know, put their feet on their chair, grab a beer and watch TV and just chill out. And I'm gonna tell you something. A man is not remembered for that. A man is remembered for what happens between five o'clock and 8.30 at night when he's home with his children and his wife. The people who will mourn at your funeral are the ones that you will you are interacting with between five and 8.30 at night. They are not the ones that you're working with. So for me, finishing strong is coming home every day, finishing that day strong, compounded over time is a life that's finished strong. So those are the five components that really make up what I believe a man is. So when I talk to men, I say, hey, how are you doing these five areas? Let's identify 
where you're weak and let's grow in that area. Mm -hmm. So you had to grow in the area of marriage. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I would say I had to grow in the area of integrity because what I was portraying to my church and to the young men I coached was I was portraying this guy, but that was not the guy I was behind closed doors. And I would say I'd have to fight. I had to fight apathy because uh, I was uh, not caring for my wife the way she needed to care for her. And it wasn't until I had a, I had a moment in a stadium in LA Coliseum, about 80,000 men that I, I realized these things. What happened there? I was at an event in the mid nineties called promise keepers. And it was an event where men gathered in stadiums and uh, spiritual leaders from around the world would come and speak to these guys. And it was about 85 degrees in the stadium. And there were like 80,000 men, and, you know, throughout the day, you have like 10 guys come and speak, right? And I remember this one guy speaking. He was a, and I'm just giving you a description of this guy. So don't, don't take this weird. He was wearing like one of those long priestly robes, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like a church of England guy or whatever, you know, long priestly, like a big Catholic priest. And he was a black dude and he was wearing this long robe. And I was kind of going, well, I knew he wasn't a Catholic priest, but why is this black guy wearing the Wearing this long robe, you know, and for 45 minutes, he just screamed at the audience. You need out love. You need out serve your wife. And I'll be honest with you, man. I was just not connecting with this guy at all. The flowing robe got me. The screaming at me got me. I could care less about his color. But but the screaming at me, the same phrase over and over just got me, man. And I'm sitting in this stadium and about three quarters through his screaming, the same phrase over and over again. I felt like God spoke to me. And you know what God said to me? You got to out love and out serve your wife. <laughs> so I went home and I vowed that I was going to out love and out serve my wife. And from that day on, my wife has never had to make, well, she has now, but I made her coffee every morning for at least 20 years. I made breakfast for our children every morning for 20 years. I led the family and family devotions almost every morning for 20 years until they left. I just really engaged and my mission became to out love and out serve her. And a miraculous thing happened, man. She began to love and serve me more. She went from this, you know, I married this angel and I woke up with Satan type of thing, right? But she began to transform back to the angel I married because I'd been loving her and out serving her. And it just transformed our marriage. And we just got back from Greece like two days ago where we celebrated our 30th anniversary and man, I love her so much. I bet I tell her I love her three or four times a day. I just, I, I, over the, you know, because what's happened is as you out love and out serve as that compounds over time, it really builds into a great marriage. And so that was my aha moment in a stadium in 1995 with 80,000 other dudes and a screaming black preacher in a flowing robe. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, why, so, so why are the divorce rates so high these days? Because I'm sure... You considered that? Yeah, you know, I I'm I'm incredibly passionate about marriage. Uh, I just had a young man who I coached in football. He broke all the passing records at Eastern Washington University two years ago. Phenomenal athlete, great quarterback. And he asked me to do his wedding. I said, "Okay, man, here's the deal: if divorce is an option, I won't do your wedding." And so I think if if you were to talk to my wife Shanna and myself, and you were to ask us what the two greatest contributors to our marriage are we would tell you our faith and that we're absolutely stubborn we are stubborn and i think what happens nowadays is people are they don't they divorce is an option and here's a phrase i hate i hate this phrase 
I'm going to make a reel on this phrase this week for Instagram. I hate it when men call their wives their partner. I hate it because a partnership is a business contract. You know, you go in America, we go to the county clerk, we fill out a, we, we pay money to the county, to the government, we get a contract and that contract says that person is now your legal husband or your legal wife. So it is a, it is literally a contract, a partnership, but in God's eyes, when we went and got married in the church, we formed a covenant. So she is not my partner. She's my partner, but she's my wife. There's a covenant there. So a contract protects me from you. A covenant is no holds barred. It's total transparency. A covenant doesn't say, I want to be protected from you. A covenant says, I'm giving you everything I have with the chance that you're going to do the same. And I think in marriage, Gavin, I think the problem is that people don't go all in from the get-go and divorce is always an option and if divorce is an option you're going to get divorced if you're on the bench press right and you're trying to max like my my max bench was 375 i could never hit four I was like, i'm a plate guy right so i put 405 on there you know 445 pound plates and i could never get it because i always thought about what if i don't get 405 instead of saying i'm going to crush this thing you know what i'm saying and so i think guys in the intermarriage they think, man, I hope this works out. And that's the wrong approach. You've got to go in it with grit and stubbornness, which is stub grit is, is defined as the stubborn refusal to quit. And so I think that's a massive reason why marriages fail. And I think the other reason why, based on my story, is you know, we enter marriage very stubborn, very selfish. We think, hey man, I've got this woman to give me all the sex I want, cook all the meals I want, do all the things I want man, she's going to take care of me. And what we need to do, and this is, I think, the immature man mind, and as men mature, they see this as different. What ha has to happen with a man is he has to realize my, my job is to love her and cherish her and care for her. And I think that and I think that, that also manifests in the sex life. When a man is just wanting to get his, I think that's a problem. But when a man transitions his making love to give her hers before he gets his, that that whole that's a whole world that says even in sex, which is so important for me as a man, I'm going to take care of her first before mine. It changes the game in marriage. Mm -hmm. There's a there are the vows on on the altar of the church on on the day of your marriage, which mm -hmm. one of them is for better or for worse, and it seems yep. that that vow in particular has been thrown out the window. By many couples, this for better or for worse. When things get at that worse period, that's when let's talk about men here. That's that's when men will start to seek better outside of the marriage mm -hmm. through affairs, through porn, through meaningless, frivolous activities that will continue to dissolve the quality of the marriage. I yeah. think that's something quite important to highlight. And yeah, I agree. you are at that worst point and you managed to change it to to better, to the best point. But it meant turning that toward yourself instead of from what I hear is that you were blaming your wife. She's whatever, a pain in the ass, or she's yeah, not serving me. She's not doing this for me. I hate her. Instead of you taking on that ownership and responsibility and showing up for her more so. And in turn, she starts to 
she starts to trust you more. Yeah. It starts to embed this deeper connection with you because she can see you're making an effort. She can see that you're really serious about this commitment you've made. That's a, that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Marriage is marriage and women are actually complex, but really a woman is actually a very simple being to love. Once you understand what, what makes her come alive. And so I always tell guys that forgive me for this horrible analogy, but if you open her spirit, her legs and everything else will open for you. You've got to open her spirit. Like how do you keep her spirit open? How do you, how do you, you know, women have this gland right about here that men don't have, and it's called a security gland. And the moment she feels unsafe or insecure, she will start lashing out at you. And it could be, you know, this morning, my wife actually got on me for, uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, I, I didn't put something where it was supposed to go in the refrigerator. And she had just cleaned the refrigerator. And in her world, she's saying, wait, I just cleaned the refrigerator, but you didn't put the thing back where I had it, which means you don't love me. You're, you know, there's a security thing. She wants to be secure in the relationship. She wants to be secure in my love for her. And when she feels secure, the whole world opens up to me. Everything opens up to me. So the more as a man, I can feel, make her feel secure, the more she's going to open her world up to me. You know, and guys, I have guys all the time talk about, oh, I haven't had sex in six months. I haven't had sex. And, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. I'm like, well, man, you got to open her spirit. Open her spirit. If she closes her spirit to you, everything will be closed. If she opens her spirit to you, guess what? Everything will be open. And, and we open our wife's spirit by making them feel safe. We open her spirit by serving her. And here's, I have had guys, Gavin, you're going to love this. I've had guys recently call me a beta male, beta male, because I don't think divorce should be an option. And, and guys are like, you're a beta male. What if she does this? What if she does that? And I go, hold on a second. Stop. I, I've already answered the question of divorce. Now, now who knows? Maybe something traumatic may happen and my wife may leave me someday. I don't know, but I'm going to fight for that marriage to the bitter end, no, no matter what she does, because I am in it for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And and, here, and here's the other thing. I'll say this to the alpha males out there. You know, we in America, we have this these guys called Navy SEALs, and I'm a massive military fan. I give my books for free to active military and law enforcement, but our Navy SEALs divorce at a 95% rate. Our law enforcement in America divorces at a 70% divorce rate. And so if that's an alpha male, I think I'm going to pass. I won't, I mean, I think we need to redefine what alpha male is, right? And and I think that, I think, yeah, it is being a strong man. I think it is being a fighting man. I think it is being a man's man, but I also think it's learning how to love your wife because she should be the most important person on the planet. Yeah. As I said, when it, when it's at that worst period, men will run away instead of embracing that difficulty. And when your wife is perhaps arguing or she's projecting some anger onto you, you got to take that as a, as a test, as a message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Instead of running from it, you move towards it because if you run, then again, it dissipates any sort of trust or love that she felt from you. And as I said, it, it, it further destroys the marriage. Um, that, that's, a, that's a beta male, the man that runs away from his Well, wife. and let's, and you, you, I love your phrase. You said the man who runs. 
So guys, I have a, I can hear guys right now saying, oh, I'm never going to run. I'll run from nothing. Oh, okay. Well, do you run to pornography? Do you run into your man cave? Do you run to fantasy football when your wife is mad at you? What are you run? What are you doing to isolate yourself? And what, what I talked about earlier is men lean into the downhill. They, they, they lean into the climb, they lean into the resistance. And so what I heard you just now saying is, is a real man is going to lean into the problem and, and, and find a solution instead of, instead of, um, pulling away from the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's happening all the time. I mean, porn use is at an all time high as well. So there's something amiss there with divorce rates being high, porn usage being high, suicide rates being high, depression rates being Mm -hmm. at an all time high. There, there's there's something lacking there. And I think it is down to a lot of men running away from these challenges and these difficulties. And there's also the, uh, I hate this term, but there's also that sense of entitlement that a lot oh, of men absolutely. carry. absolutely. Yeah. That they're entitled to get whatever they want without any real effort or work. I think it's more relatable to the next generation coming up, maybe those in their 20s, early 30s at the moment. I think they've been hit harder with that more so than our generation. I think I just managed to avoid that in my own upbringing that I'd work a lot for what I, what I received, but that's something that's cultivated from a very young age, you know, from these helicopter parents um, making up for their absence through material objects and material possessions, you know, that, that the father and the mother may not be present there, but they'll give mm-hmm. you presence to feel mm-hmm. some sort of love, to feel some sort of acceptance from them. And this becomes a a trap that many men get fall, get fall into. And also I feel it transfers onto a marriage where the woman simply becomes another possession. The woman becomes another possession in this man's mm-hmm. life. And possessions can be replaced. Yeah. So well, and I think, yeah. Lack of value. Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, it's really interesting. I have my own podcast, as you know, the Men Arena podcast. And, uh, you know, we're just, I, I have so many guys on my podcast that are porn experts. I'm like, I got to stop having these guys on. But these guys keep reaching out to me. And I'm like, and I, I'm slowing down the amount of guys we're going to have that are porn guys because it is kind of overwhelming, but it speaks to a problem, you know, and my digital marketing uh, consultant is a 40 something year old female. And I asked her, what's the biggest problem that you're seeing? What's the biggest thing you see on social media? She said, almost every guy and my audience is Christian. She's like 80% of the guys in your audience. And we have a large audience are engaged in pornography, (laughs) 80%. And I'm like, well, it's probably more like 90, but And I think that has uh, been a huge issue. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is the screen time. Another is uh, we don't regulate, uh, you know, pornography is free. When I was growing up, I'm 56. When I was growing up to get a hold of porn, you had to go buy it. You had to do the walk of shame into a porn, into a video store and buy a porn video, which I did in college back in the day. And, you know, you, you know, and those, but nowadays you just take your phone in the, in the quietness of your living room or wherever. And you could, you could, I had a guy in my podcast recently, he used to watch porn while he was on dates. He's just scrolling through porn on dates. <laughs> it's that easy. And I think that creates uh, isolation. 
Uh, I think that objectifies women. And I, I don't think that is a, I think that's more of a symptom to a greater problem for men. And so. Yeah. Symptom. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. it, it encapsulates so much the porn use. I think it's for a lot of men to feel like they don't have any control or the lack control in their lives or maybe around women whereas you go on you go on to porn and you have complete control you can do whatever you mm -hmm. want to on that device you can watch whatever you want you can completely become engrossed in this there's also the entitlement part where you can go onto a, a porn site and see a naked woman within a matter of seconds mm -hmm. and you've done nothing to earn this and then you sort of bring that with you into dating life or into relationships and you feel like your woman should do the same, that she should get naked, she should have sex with you for a little or no effort on your behalf, which doesn't work, of course. And <laughs> and there's also, the, there's also, I think, most of all the escapism that porn mm -hmm. offers. Mm -hmm. If your marriage is going through a shitstorm, instead of facing the storm, you run away from it and porn is that soother that many men use to to hide from the storm or to numb the pain of the difficulty mm -hmm. so it's it is creating a lot of damage I, i'm not not too sure how we're going to navigate that as we move forward i think it is going to get worse and more accessible and more appealing to men as we move further into virtual reality uh, but i think it begins with awareness and understanding the consequences of your actions and knowing that Every decision you make has a cost. And uh, I know full well about the detrimental impact of porn. I'm not going to go there now because you're sick of listening about porn. <laughs> Maybe one for our podcast if I come on to yours yeah. someday. I, but think, I think all of us struggle issues. with that on yeah. some level, right? Or have in the past. Yeah. What was the sort of timeline between the when you were smashing the steering wheel of your car, hating, hating your wife, looking for a way out, to that let's call it epiphany moment in the stadium. What was the timeline there? I would say about a two year timeline between the two. Okay. That's yeah. So it was two years of, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, my wife and I, we, 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 like I said, we just got back from two weeks in Greece and even today, even today, our marriage is hard. I want to be clear on that. I, I mean, my marriage is great. I have a marriage that's enviable, but it is hard. It is hard work to be married to a woman <laughs> for a woman it is hard work to be married to a man because no matter what hollywood tells us no matter what education tells us men and women are vastly different they're vastly different you put two of the, these two people together you tell them you know be fruitful and multiply and that is tough because we're so different and we have to learn how to love each other even though we're so vastly different and in doing so I, it may, my wife has made me a better man. And I have noticed that guys my age that are single are still children. My wife has made, and I'm not, I'm generalizing here, but a single man doesn't go through what a married man has to go through to have a successful, vibrant, dynamic marriage. And so my, my wife has changed my life and I've changed her life, but it's, I'll tell you, Gavin, it's been a fight. I mean, every day of our marriage, I wish I could tell guys, oh, you fall in love, you married a happy lover after, you fly into the sunset with Tom Cruise, you know, in an F-18, you know, but it's not like that, man. Marriage is a grind. It's hard. It's mm -hmm. hard. Two years is a long time, man, to be in that 
in that yeah. pit of hate, let's call it. Yeah. What, what was happening within those two years? Well, you know, you it's recall? really interesting. You know, I tell the story, I say I hated my wife. And that's, that is a true statement, but we, you know, we had a vibrant uh, sex life, even though we had massive fighting and we had our good moments and we had our bad moments. I'll tell you the thing I think that kept us together through all of this. I think this is really important for guys to hear for you single guys that are trying to figure this out. You need to find a woman who is similar to you there. People say opposites attract. They may attract, but they don't last. You need someone who has, excuse me, you need someone who is similar to you. And here's what I mean by that. My wife and I had similar spiritual views. We had similar political views. We had similar social views, fitness views, uh, demographic views. We were very similar people, right? And so in the midst of our relationship being like this all the time, we believed very similar things. And that kept us together. Uh, throughout that that process. And so I think the problem a lot of times is, you know, is a guy will marry a woman who believes this and he believes this, or she votes this way, he votes this way. And that does not create a harmonious relationship. And so for guys who are looking for a wife, make sure you guys align in those big areas, uh, you know, uh, leisure, social, fitness, spiritual, sexual, you know, you, you guys align in these political and that, that for my wife and I, that's what kept us going in the midst of a, uh, kind of a head banging type of relationship. Okay. So what if there's a man listening to this thinking, damn, <laughs> we are not aligned. We're yes. very, we're completely different and the complete opposite. Can that be salvaged? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be hard work. I've got a good friend of mine who he's a, I would call him an evangelical Christian man who's politically conservative. And he's been married for 40 years to a woman who is uh, politically liberal and she's Catholic. So they have different, and she's not a practicing Catholic. So they're completely different politically, completely different in every area. But what they've done, it's been really cool. They've They've taken the areas where they're in sync, which is they're both uh, very into fitness, and they've just focused on that area together. So to find the area where you align and just pour into that area, and for a guy, you know, as he's looking at his wife going, man, I fell in love with this woman, but now as we live together in marriage, I'm realizing how different we are. You know, it's his job to, you know, to really pull that marriage together. Let me give you an example. I spent two weeks in Greece with my wife during football, American football season and right in the middle of elk archery season. And I'm like, why? my kids are saying, why'd you do that, mom? We're going hunting with dad. And what I, what I would say to men is this, I have learned, and I think this is important for guys. Remember, remember the flowing robe preacher that was preaching to me in, in the LA Coliseum, out love and out serve your wife. Part of me doing that was falling in love with the things that she loves. My wife loves warm weather and tropical vacations. I have always loved cold weather and hunting in the mountains, and I still do. But I have I have decided to fall in love with what my wife loves. Mm -hmm. And that has really transformed my relationship with my wife. So I do the tropical. She's a flight attendant, so we can fly all over the place for free. So I'll fly with her to different places because I want to love what she loves. And in doing that, what I'm doing is loving her. So that's what I would say to a guy in that situation. Leverage the areas where you are strong together and 
find an area where you can love what she loves. Some men would say that you're compromising your happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Marriage is not meant to make you happy. Mm -hmm. This is the problem with marriage. People enter marriage and they think that marriage is about making me happy. And that, again, that's a selfish view of marriage. I would say that marriage is about making you holy or making you better would be another phrase. So if I enter the marriage, realize the marriage is about making me better than I was before instead of happier, I'm able to pour into my wife. And in doing so, I open up her spirit, right? And she reciprocates that love and and my marriage and, and my happiness, all of that stuff flourishes, but you can't come at it. Happiness is an end. It's not the means. It's not, you, you, you don't get there. You don't jump into happiness. You jump into serving and let me, let me put it this way. You don't fall into love and stay there. You fall into love and then you start rising into love. So marriage, if, if guys realize that marriage is about rising into love, if they realize that going in, I think that'll really change them. And is marriage a compromise? Absolutely, yes. All day long. And if a guy thinks there's no compromise, those guys get divorced a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Marriage is a compromise. You've uh, you've got kids as well, yeah? Yeah, I have a 24-year-old son, a 26-year-old son, and a 28-year-old son. Who've all left home now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We make sure. We, we create an environment where they want to leave home. <laughs> so they're all, they're all college graduates. And they all came back home for about six months. To we said, "Hey, here you want? I want you to get your savings up and then go." Uh, my oldest owns one house. My middle son owns two homes. And my youngest son uh, just moved out and just ended, it started. You know, left. He graduated from college. Uh, he had more consecutive starts on his college football team than any college football player in that school's history. And that school has the longest winning streak in any football team in all divisions in the United States. Wow. And so he's a really phenomenal young man, but he's in the middle of kind of getting his stuff together, you know, you know, buying that house, entering life. But yeah, they're all doing well. And it's really funny. My kids for Father's Day a couple of years ago, uh, they I had them over to the house and they said, Dad, we want to thank you for not being soft on us. You made us get jobs. You made us play all three sports. You made us uh, pay for our car insurance and our gas. Thank you for that. We hated you when you made us do that but we've seen how it's benefited us and all of our friends who had things handed to them are soft and weak and pathetic. And, and that, that was the thing. And I was at every, I was at my kids' football games. I coached them in their sports. I was not a helicopter dad or a bulldozer dad, but I was there involved, but I made my kids work for it because I realized that someday they're going to be married to a woman. They're going to have children and their children and their wife are going to depend on them to lead the way. And they can't be weak in doing that. Mm -hmm. Wow. You've just set my dad goal there for the next <laughs> few years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's something I've, I've got a, <clears throat> I've got a five-year-old son and I've got an 11 year old daughter. So oh, yeah. the 11 year old daughter is, is, uh, is good fun at the moment. Um, as you can imagine moving into her teenage years and, and the one thing that I've been uh, speaking to her a lot about recently is, is entitlement. So she's got to earn her screen time which she has good for you most days of the week she's got her, she's got to earn her screen time which means she's got to practice her singing and her karate on a daily basis she does her homework there's no issue there she's she's um she's pretty pretty good in that and of course then once a week she's cleaning the house and she earns her pocket money so and yes we get into arguments about that and 
that when you say it, when you say that, I'm thinking, yeah, that's that that's that's the goal. The end that that uh, they finally realize what all of this was for, yeah. and what's it been like for you now? What the what the kids leaving leaving home? Um, what what? Yeah. How has life changed for for you as a, as a dad? You know, it's really interesting. I just did a series of podcast episodes on this. You know, when I was when my children were let's say under five, I would say the phrase there was, I was a father fidelis. That's the Latin for faithful. I was just there. I was, I showed up. I was, I I went to work. I came home. I loved the kids. I was at their, I was at their little peewee sporting events, whatever they did. I was just, they just got used to dad being there and being faithful. And as, as my kids entered their preteens, you know, in that phase, my role changed with my kids. And it really became a father, father, um, what's the phrase I want to use for this? Um, hold on a second. I'm going to have to think this through because you got me uh, off guard a little bit. Um, Take your time. I know you can edit. I know you can edit this. Father, faithful, father. Oh, uh, it's, um, oh, what's the word? Oh, gosh. As they entered that next phase, I, I became the father model. So I was a I was a father who was an example because they were now at the stage where they're watching how I love their mother. They're watching how I live my life out, how I live my faith out. So they're watching this phase, right? And as they as they entered through their late teens, we entered this phase where I call it father and friend as friend. You know, when they went from 18 and now they're 18. 1920. Now my kids are all in their 20s. It's the late, their late 20s. I became this friend role. Now, this is really interesting, Gavin. Until my kids were 20, I determined what that relationship would look like because I said so. You live in my home. I made the rules. I determined what the stakes were going to be. I determined when they had screen time, when they didn't have screen time. When they left my home, everything shifted. And this is really important. Now, my son's and their wives are determining the type of relationship they're going to have with me and my wife. So I'm really thankful because I've poured into my sons for so many years. And now my sons are my hunting partners. They're my workout partners. I, we, I mean, we after we kill all of our animals, we get together, we process them, we make sausage, we make jerky, we make all these things. So my sons have become my friends. So now I'm reaping this beautiful uh, I'm reaping this beautiful season of life where my sons want to be with their dad. And the fourth phase of fatherhood, I think, is what I call father forever. It's when my sons, my oldest son has a, a daughter. And so now I get to reap the benefits of having a granddaughter who's being poured into by my son. I'm getting to see the values that she's bringing through because of my son, because of me and his mother. And so it's a it's a beautiful process. But I think guys need to realize that, man, when these kids leave your home, they determine what the relationship is going to look like. And if you've neglected your kids, you know, that the, it's that old song, cats in the cradle and a silver spoon, right? Where the father comes back and says, Hey, I want to hang out. And the kid goes, Hey dad, don't have time for you. Remember when you didn't have time for me. And so I think this is really important. And so I, I think from what you're saying, man, you're crushing it as a dad. So, I mean, I'm glad you have a podcast because guys need to hear what you have to say, man. So yeah. uh, I, I appreciate guys like you who are in the arena getting it done, man. So thank you. Yeah, for sure, man. I thank you because uh, you've certainly inspired me to continue on that path of becoming an even better father every single day. That's so awesome. it's, uh, yeah, a, a lot of my father fatherhood has been influenced by 
the lack of a father figure in my own mm-hmm. childhood, which maybe you can relate to as well. I think a lot of men around our generation can relate to that with absent fathers in our lives. And we want to do better than that. And many fathers are doing better than that. I'm really encouraged from yeah, having sure. many conversations with guys in this podcast who are in the arena. So that is, yeah, that that's incredibly inspirational. Uh, are there some for younger fathers out there or fathers with younger kids, are there some lessons that you could instill from your experiences as being a father to your own children and your own teenagers? You know, you've gone through those processes and now you've been able to let them go with confidence to live their independent lives. So what have been some of the biggest lessons you could help Austin still? As younger, yeah, I would say um, my biggest failure as a father, and I, 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 I get emotional whenever I think about this, is there have been times, uh, my marriage has been like this, right? You know, I'm, I'm married to a woman, and so we headbutt. And my my biggest failure as a husband has been not framing my wife well in front of my children when, when they were grown up. So for, if you put your wife in a portrait, what are your kids seeing? And my kids with me often saw a crazy mom, angry mom, nagging mom. And I've had to repent as an adult and tell my sons, listen, your mom is an amazing woman. She's courageous. She's a warrior. You're so lucky to have her. I, I was wrong in how I treated your mom, you know, like framed her. So guys, please forgive me. So I've had to and continue to do that. Uh, and I framed her wrong with those, that season of life when I hated her. I framed her wrong with my father, with my mother. And then they had this image of her and I've had to fix that and I keep fixing that. And so that's been a, my greatest failure. And I would say the one thing I would say, as far as fathers, the one thing I did really well. So when you have your kids, when you have children, imagine you take a giant um, rubber band, you know, those workout bands, mm-hmm. you take that rubber band, you put it over the top of your kid, put it around their waist. You've got it on your waist. They turn around and they're going to go. And as a father, my job is to let my kids go, but I only let them go so far because they're still attached to me on some level. And then I re I, I, I close the gap a little bit. So my job as a parent is I, especially in the teen years, I want my sons to get out there and fail and mess up and succeed. I want them to establish their own identity, their own life, but I want them to establish it far enough away where they think they're disconnected, but they're really not disconnected because I'm there. So I'm not going to bulldoze down their problems, but I want to be there to help them pick up the pieces. I, I'm the kind of guy, and I believe firmly in this, we've got to let our kids fail. And here's why. The question your son, your five-year-old son is going to ask, he's asking you this question every day. He asks you it now when he says, feel my muscles, daddy. Daddy, throw me. Every time you you wrestle with him, he's asking this question. Your sons are, do I have what it takes? Your son's asking that question. You ask that question. I ask that question. We ask it every day. And you as a dad have to let him go out there and prove himself that he does have what it takes. And when he does fail, you need to tell him, listen, let's get the dust, clear the dust. Let's let's put the duct tape on the blood. You know, let's super glue the cuts, you know, uh, and get back out there because you've got what it takes. The Our daughters are different. Our daughters are different. Now, yeah, we want them to be warriors. We want them to be all these things. But the question your daughter is asking you is this. Am I enough, daddy? Am I beautiful enough? Am I worthy enough? And if she understands from a great father that she is enough, 
she's not going to be spreading her legs at 16 on the prom. She's not going to be finding her identity in other guys because her daddy has told her you're worthy to be pursued. You're beautiful. You're, you're unique. There's no one like you. I mean, when God made you, he broke the molds. You're beautiful. I mean, when, and so that's it. So the, the women and the, the sons and the daughters are asking different questions. And so as a father, we need to, we need to affirm the questions they're asking because they don't even know they're asking the questions. And I think that's a, this is when men, when men are absent, they've got kids with all sorts of boys with all sorts of uh, issues there. And then the women, all sorts of daddy issues there. Uh, Men are so, men are so important. Men are game changers in the family. And I'm not discounting women. I'm just saying when a man is not there, it changes everything. And when a man is there, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a crisis of masculinity at the moment, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We need to lead by example there. And there's, I know you've mentioned something before in your content about there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. There's a phrase out there, a buzzword among certain uh, groups of people called that, that is toxic masculinity. Mas- Hold on, let me re-say that. That's all right. There's a buzz buzz phrase out there called toxic masculinity. And if you look up the word masculinity in the dictionary, just look up the word. And it, it says something like this, things prone to manhood or things that men do. So the toxic people in the world today are not men. They are males. We have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is a man and this is a male. A man is not toxic. A male is toxic. A man loves his wife. A male leaves his wife. A man raises his children. A male defers the rearing of his children to some other man. A man is involved in his community. A male is anonymous. And so we have to realize toxic masculinity is is oxymoronic. It's not it's not a phrase. It's a, it's not a phrase. It describes something that's not there. It's a political phrase that's designed to attack masculinity, but true masculinity is never toxic. It never has been, never will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that man. <laughs> Thanks. So for all the men listening to this podcast, where can they find your good self, Jim? Yeah, uh, we're on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we have a podcast. If they just Google or Yahoo or whatever, Men in the Arena, they can find us. Uh, all of our content is available at meninthearena.org, and they can get all of our content. And I actually have a free book there for your guys called Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters, and they can download that for free. It costs them an email. I used to say free, but the guys go, I'll have to give you my email. I'm like, isn't that free? Does that is that a cost for you? Give me your email. Anyway, so but that uh, book's available for guys. And uh yeah, so that's en, how they get en, a hold of me, man. Entitled generation again, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, suck it up, man, and just add your email there and get that book. And uh yes, go check out Jim's great content. You've some brilliant pieces of content up there, I have to say. Yeah, and do yeah, enjoy your reels. It. So keep Feel it coming. Free man. To steal whatever you can, man. Oh yeah, it's all good, man. Thank you. You got Until it. next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration 
that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.